This episode is brought to you in part by B&H Publishing Group. Sam Alberry's new kids' book, God's Go-Togethers, provides a helpful foundation for explaining why God made men and women as a special pair to complement each other in marriage and beyond. Learn more at godsgotogethers.com. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four... You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. Even if you're apolitical or generally uninformed, uh, surely you know something about What's been going on is that we are in the midst of a pandemic or maybe just in the, at the beginning of a pandemic uh, for what is called uh, COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus or the Rona, according to Black Twitter. We know that the virus started in uh, China, who many are saying whose government did not report accurately or kind of uh, drug their feet on letting us know exactly how bad the epidemic was there. Uh, And it spread very quickly. Uh, I saw something earlier today saying that Italy actually might have more uh, coronavirus infections and and deaths than China does. Now, that brings up the question whether China is accurately kind of giving us data. uh, And that's a big question. But this is very serious. And so we want to talk about this today um, in a very serious way. But also, uh, we're all going through a lot. And so we're we're going to still have a, a, a... still make sure that we're not overly serious and, and scaring anybody away. Uh, we know that famous Americans have, have caught this virus. Tom Hanks. Uh, we have NBA stars. We know that all American sports have really been cut off, that there's no NBA. There's not going to be any March Madness for us this year because of this virus. So we all know that this is something that we should take very seriously. We have politicians who had to be quarantined, and we've all been asked to engage in social distancing, which has a variety of uh, impacts on our lives. Uh, And then votes have been delayed. Since we're talking about this in politics, we got to talk about the fact that there have been votes that have been delayed and you're just seeing people all over really trying to figure out how serious to take this and how long it's going to last. And those are questions that we may not have for you today, but we do have a good policy discussion for you. So I'm here today with uh, Michael Ware, who you all know is uh, my partner in the AND campaign. He is our chief strategist. And I'm also with our executive uh, board member, Chris Butler. Hey, good to be with you. I'm glad to be having this conversation. Yes. Yeah, so l- let's kind of get into it. I want to start off with the personal and then we can kind of get into political. As I said before, uh, this is something that's impacted everyone. And even if you're not really paying attention, you've been impacted by this, this pandemic. Uh, and so I just want to talk about how we've been impacted personally. I know for me, Thus far, we've been blessed. Me and my family have been blessed. I don't have anybody in my immediate family that I know of that has been infected. Uh, I do have a cousin that's uh, over in China, but he seems to be doing okay right now. Um, And so all of the disruptions for me have been kind of disruptions of convenience, disruptions of of luxury. Uh, We did have to cancel a a cruise, a family cruise. And as I'm sure you guys can tell, a brother needs a haircut. But outside of that, it's been stuff that, you know, that uh, we can deal with and we've come together as a family and just trying to fight off that uh, cabin fever. How about yourself, Mike? Yeah, I mean, so right. So just everything's canceled. So I know like like you guys, have, you know, probably eight to 10 trips pulled down or postponed. Uh, the upside of that is, you know, getting to be home with my family. Uh, uh, I, I think you know, for a week or so, you know, this is good. I think as a family, we're, we're starting to think, what does it look on a longer term to sort of establish new rhythms, make sure, you know, my 16 month old, she's a social, social creature. <laughs> she, she needs to be around some other babies and how, how can we do that in a safe way? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's been, um, my family's healthy, uh, and so that's been that's been good. I had some family. Similarly, my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had to cancel a, a cruise they were they were going to be on. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just changed a lot. And I think 
like a lot of people, we're just trying to get a sense of how normal is this new normal? You know, how 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 long are, uh, is is the social distancing and sort of the self quarantining gonna 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 take place? And, you know, I'll just add, my my church is um, you know I've, I've been really impressed with my church and what they've been what they've been doing. We've been doing morning and evening uh, prayers that my pastor has been leading. We just launched uh, a food and sort of essentials drive. And so that's that's been encouraging and I think really important, like thinking of not just about like the rhythms of work life, but, you know, what are the spiritual rhythms that we could uh, th- that are, uh, you know, essential in, in this time and what role can the can the church play in, in driving some of that? So, I mean, I, 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 you know, come to this having worked in politics for, uh, you know, most of my professional career. But the last four years, uh, I've been pastoring church and so these those spiritual rhythms have consumed uh my time and, and trying to understand uh for the church what does church look like feel like uh in this time how do we uh continue to have community uh continue to have fellowship continue to serve uh broader community uh, without coming together physically uh which is certainly um you know, certainly a challenge. Um, and so that's been a big part of what has consumed my time. And uh, we've, we've done similar things to, to I think, what, what Mike was talking about in terms of, uh, you know, prayer three times a day, uh, streaming Bible study, and, uh, you know, have a phone tree, uh, you know, that has been activated at this point. In my personal life, and, you know, first off, in the church, we haven't had anybody di- diagnosed. We do have... Uh, folks uh, who have been symptomatic and uh, quarantined because they were young and I guess not ill enough to get a test. Um, You know, so, you know, just praying through those things, um, you know, and probably the most impactful thing over these last two weeks is uh, there were a couple of nights when when my eight-year-old had trouble sleeping. Um, She's old enough to know but not necessarily old enough to understand all the ins and outs of how to uh, work through it. I mean, I don't know if I'm old enough to understand all how to work through it. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very interesting time indeed. It's almost surreal. Uh, You know, I've been talking to friends and just kind of going back and forth as as we all try to figure this out. And it's just really surreal. It's like, are we on the edge of something that's going to change you know, life as we know it, is it going to pass over in, in two, three months? No one really knows. And so we're kind of playing this waiting game to figure out what's going on. So, folks, a lot of people have been asking the AND campaign just to speak on policy and the politics uh, that come with corona, coronavirus. So we're going to do some of that. We're not going to go into all the details of everything generally that's going on with coronavirus. You guys can go on social media and get some of that stuff that would take us all day. But we do want to cover some basic stuff and then really get into the policy. So as of today, there have been about 11,700 corona infections in the United States. There have been about 174 deaths in the United States. OK, so that's where we stand. And let's get into some of the conversation of like a, a policy overview. Right. What, what's been happening in the states as a response when it comes to legislation and executive orders? Um, for the coronavirus. So the first thing that we know is that there's been two packages that have been signed by uh, President Trump in regard to the coronavirus, okay? On March 6th, there was the first package that was signed, and these are really coronavirus relief relief packages to deal uh, with this from a government standpoint, a federal standpoint. And so the first package, again, was on March 6th. It was an $8.3 billion package that increased funding for testing and actually lowered the cost of medical treatment that's related to uh, the virus. So that was the first package, the smallest package. Uh, And then yesterday, well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, But after the first package and between the one that was signed yesterday, Trump declared a state of emergency. Uh, And that was on March 13th. And so on March 13th, he had... 
Uh, he declared a state of emergency, and then there was a $50 billion emergency relief uh, effort behind that uh, declaration. Okay, so you got the first package, you got the declaration of uh, a state of emergency, and then you have the second package, again, which was signed by President Trump yesterday. This is the Family First Coronavirus Response Act, and this was a $100 billion package. What you'll find, and I think this is a good thing, and we'll talk about it, fellas, is, is this is happening in parts, right? It, it's happening in, in different packages, which I think is good because what, what it allows our, our, our federal government to do is get the stuff through that they can uh, agree on, right? Get the easy stuff that Democrats and Republicans can both say, okay, we agree on this. Let's get that out, rather than, rather than having one big package where you wait for everything uh, and you have to agree on everything, and that would just delay us too much to actually – deal with the issue in the way that we need to. So this is coming out in different parts. Uh, but the second part uh, was signed by Trump. It's $100 billion, and it will go in effect 15 days from the signing, so about uh, 14 days from today. And what it does is it provides uh, some workers with paid sick leave, which is very big, and there were actually people on both sides that were saying that need, that needed to happen and probably sooner than it did happen, but at least we got it going now. Uh, it also helps workers who had to stay home because they have sick children and it expands unemployment benefits again to the tune of a hundred billion dollars. Uh, the one, this, this second package that was signed yesterday also helps small businesses, uh, and small businesses is a, is a business with fewer than 50 employees. It allows them to, to file kind of financial hardship waivers when it comes to, you know, paid sick leave and things of that nature. Uh, so very helpful. Not all that we need, but again, they're kind of doing this in pieces so that they can get certain things going. Uh, the next thing that's being negotiated as we speak is a third package. And many of you have probably heard of this third package. Uh, it's, a, it's expected to be about $1 trillion. $1 trillion for this third package. Not ex exactly sure when it will be finished. Uh, the president and you know congressional um, the congressional Democrats will probably have to come to an agreement, but they're talking this out, as I understand it right now. And this package, which many of you have heard, uh, may include direct checks to individuals and families. I read something, guys, that said that there's about 20 percent since the coronavirus outbreak, 20 percent of Americans of the job force has lost a job or unemployed now. Those are huge. Those are huge numbers. And, and it has to be dealt with. We're hoping that this third package, which will be the largest package, will deal with that issue. Um, also, Trump, I think yesterday, also he invoked the Defense Production Act, which is an act that's normally only invoked during wartime. But what it does is it directs private firms to produce goods like masks, ventilators and diagnostic kits at a faster pace to get all this stuff back into the market, as you know, Ventilators and masks and things of that nature are just something that we don't have a lot of, um, not even to mention the tests uh, that, that, that we uh, are probably behind on getting there. So that's helpful. It's something that a lot of um, uh, legislators were asking for. And so that finally got done, I believe, yesterday as well. And it's not only the federal government that is kind of having these executive orders and legislation. State and municipalities have been passing legislation and putting out executive orders as well. So, a, um, you know, they've, they've declared state of emergencies, they've closed schools, they've closed bars and so on. And let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, California, uh, which is one of the states that's been impacted by this the most, has appropriated about $100 million for local education ed uh, agencies to purchase protective equipment. Uh, so that's a big deal. Uh, the state of Washington, uh, which was really hit hard, especially in the Seattle area, uh, appropriated about $175 million for emergency response. Uh, so a lot going on, uh, especially on the federal level, but also on the state and local level. Guys, I wanted to just ask you, how has partisanship, how have you seen partisanship play a role in America's response, right? Some would say it, it played a role in Trump's delayed response or Trump downplaying it. And also others would talk about how Democrats have, have engaged. What do you guys think? Michael? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's played a role, especially with the election so so close. Uh, I, I, I do think there have been some encouraging signs uh, that as the gravity of the crisis has become more uh, more familiar and, and, and uh, more more sort of 
understood that we're starting to see some of that take a back seat. I mean, like you said, we, we've seen Congress, we've seen uh, Speaker Pelosi work with the Trump administration. They hammered out uh, some of the disagreements that they had late last week with this package. On Monday, they were able to um, they were able to amend the the second package you discussed, and, and President Trump signed it this week. Uh, so we're seeing. Uh, I, th- I think folks know that there will be little t- little tolerance from the American people as this crisis grows more severe uh, towards whatever side is perceived as as trying to take advantage of it. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, there, folks won't try and find creative <laughs> creative ways where their sort of fingerprints won't be won't be on it. Uh, but but hopefully, you know, our, our public leaders will put politics to the side, understand that the best thing for everybody, uh, obviously in terms of the health of the nation, but also in terms of their politics, is just to do their job. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, these kinds of moments are, are the kinds of moments where to a larger degree than uh, is typical, uh, sort of the, the the need of the moment actually matches the politics. Like those who engage professionally with the best interests of the nation uh, in in mind, like the American people are going to see that. And so we even see, you know, President Trump, uh, though, you know, he vacillates. He, he's not a disciplined uh, person. But near the uh, uh, several weeks ago, he was uh, tweeting criticisms of uh, various Democratic governors and uh, we've seen that taper off a bit. I saw him just yesterday, or actually it was today, saying positive things about how Governor Newsom in California has handled this. And so uh, that can always change with this this president. Uh, uh, he, he, I actually think as the week has progressed, he's, he's become, on Monday, he was approaching it in a healthier way. I think he's actually gone back into some of the self-interested politics that uh, that he's uh, that's still familiar to him, but um, we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna have to see it, and and we need to hold elected leaders' feet to the fire. Uh, one interesting thought on this point, just my my last thought is, you know, it's it's interesting to think about impeachment. Didn't break off a bunch of Republicans from this president. Um, uh, uh, Various other, I, I mean, some of the moral sort of scandals, Access Hollywood, whatever. Uh, one thing that's apparent is, is like Republican governors have their states on the line. Republican local officials have their localities on the line. Uh, and so uh, Trump has to be careful to keep his eye on the ball Again, not just for the the obviously real health of the nation issues, but just politically, what didn't sort of break Republicans off, you know, in terms of impeachment and the other scandals like this is something where if Trump drops the ball here, you could see some Republicans uh, decide that they can't they can't sort of abide a leadership that's not disciplined. Yeah, that's good. Chris, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look at this. in a lot of different ways, but one thing that's been of interest to me is how local uh, government, state folks, and, and even folks at the city level have handled this. Um, again, I think that similar to what we've seen at the national level, as things have grown more serious, uh, people have begun to realize that maybe this is not the time. Uh, but I know it, a lot of the gubernatorial kind of press conferences and stuff, uh, especially you know with Democratic governors, I, I watched every one from our Democratic governor here. Illinois. Um, and, you know, you, you're on to talk about coronavirus, but, you know, the first, you know, six minutes are devoted to a strong repudiation of, you know, Trump and his administration. Um, and, and I'm grateful that as things have uh, gone on, we've seen less of that. Uh, but it, it was a little troubling at first. Um, I think folks are going to continue to see uh, pushback from people. So, we held our uh, primary uh, on Tuesday. Uh, I think Florida and um, one other state also went forward and other folks uh, have canceled last week. And then the ones that were supposed to be next week 
uh, folks have postponed those. Uh, and there was a, a ton of criticism uh, for you know the elected officials, the state folks, and the county folks who run our elections. Uh, there was just a lot of criticism in both newspapers, on social media. Uh, for those of us who kind of have our ear to that conversation, um, a lot of criticism in that, you know, sports are canceled, school is canceled, most folks aren't at work, worship is canceled, and yet we're going to hold an election. Uh, so it almost seemed like we raised politics above uh, all the rest of that stuff and, and willingly put people in jeopardy uh, to hold an election. So uh, that's also something to watch as this thing progresses. How does it impact not only the outcome of primaries, but our variability to, to, to have them? No, absolutely. I, uh, you two might have saw it, seen it, but I, you know, I sent out a, a tweet a, a few days ago that was just like, man, can we get past the partisan talking points and get to the, the information, just the raw information without any type of editorial or editorializing it or any kind of commentary? Because there was a point where people just didn't know what the facts were. Like people didn't, didn't right. know how serious to take it. But if you turn on the channels that we always turn on for kind of political commentary, you were getting partisanship and still couldn't figure out what was actually going on. And so I was like, man, can we put a freeze on partisan commentary for 48 hours so people can actually figure out what's going on. I understand you don't like the president or you don't like the, the Democrat, but I just need to know what's going on. And I think yeah. you saw a lot of people feeling that exact same way. I think sometimes we just, you know, they overplay the partisanship and that's not always what people are necessarily even worried about. Uh, and you saw a lot of that. I know there was a back and forth between uh, uh, Don Lemon and, uh, uh, some other folks where he was really going at this guy to give him the answer that he wanted to kind of uh, condemn what Trump was doing. And it was like, man, I'm just trying to make sure that we get through this as a people. Uh, I think most people are taking it seriously, but you do see the folks that are kind of saying, well, I take it seriously, but let me score these partisan points first, because this is going to end at some time. And I want to make sure we're on top when it, when it ends. Uh, the right. president, you, you have to question, was he thinking about the election when, you know, when this started off, we can have that conversation. But more importantly, can we have the conversation of what people need to do and how seriously they should take this? Uh, some people felt that there was a, a lack of credibility when it came to some sides of the media. And that's why people weren't listening as, as much. It is time to just give people the facts. They can make of them what they will. But people need to know how to react. It's time for true journalism, which in my understanding is, is to help people be informed to make good decisions. And we can make good decisions without knowing uh, which party that you're batting for. And, and so hopefully we can kind of get back to that. Obviously, there are some great journalists and reporters who are doing their job. This isn't to condemn them. But I think a lot of people, at least a lot of people that I've been, I've been around, were really disappointed in how partisan this conversation was when we just wanted the facts. So that, yeah. that's something that, that we really have to look into. And hopefully that dies down a little bit. Uh, Michael, as you pointed out, the bill that was, you know, uh, the, the two the, the bills that have been passed were passed uh, in a bipartisan manner. Right. There are only, a, I think, a few, maybe eight uh, senators yeah. can vote for it. Right. That's good. Uh, I, I want to see more of that. And really, I think our elected officials and even people in the media become less partisan when we stop responding to that. Right. When we demand something different. And so a lot of the onus is on us. The end campaign always tries to kind of put the onus on us to change the incentives and we may get a, a very different response. Uh, the second question I have, and this is a huge question, especially when we're talking about the aft aftermath of this, whenever that happens is, what is the impact gonna be on the economy? I mean, a lot of people are worried about that. We know that we have a, kind of an, a consumer economy when people aren't traveling around and spending money, we're in very big trouble. I mean, you can just look at the service industry. When you close down a bar, when you close down a restaurant, that's a lot of people who just aren't making money. Uh, that's a lot of money that's not being spent, and it has a huge impact on what we're doing. What are going to be the economic consequences to what's going on now? Now, we can say, and I think most people would agree, the economics of it aren't the priority, right? Health and safety is the priority. But once this is all over, we do have to deal with an economy that could very well go back into a recession uh, or worse, depending on how long this takes. What are you guys' thoughts just on the economy? I know none of us are, are economists, but we understand policy 
and 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 you know they've been t- paying attention to what some of the forecasts are. Michael, what are your thoughts when we start talking about the economy? Well, look, I mean, this is all happening in the political wake of the financial crisis, and uh, and that's going to color how government responds. It's gonna it's gonna color how the American people respond to government interventions, and so. You know, one of the things that we see, you know, so we, as he said, Justin, we had these two packages other than in the second package, the, you know, the paid, the paid leave provisions. Congress really hasn't looked to address the economic sort of fallout from this yet. The third package that they're talking about should cover quite a bit and something that's on the table in addition to probably about half of that package being for direct checks to the American people, which I think economically is smart. Politically, it's also smart because the other half is going to be support for various industries. And I think there's going to be reasonable uh, sympathy and I think reasoned uh, support for uh, helping restaurants, small businesses. I think we'll see that as, as part of this. But you also look at industries like the airline industry that is uh, profoundly sort of uh, affected by this. And I, I, have, I have to say, if, if, if we think that there's going to be a bailout for some of these industries without real strings attached, uh, then the political fallout from the financial crisis, from the bank bailout, is going to pale in comparison to what how the American people respond if, for instance, the airline industry gets support. Which I should I should like just to be clear, airline industry may need support. They provide something of a public service. We, we need to be able to uh, get around if airline uh, uh, if airlines go under, that could dr- drastically undermine the economy. What can't happen is. Uh, a bailout with no strings attached, where consumers aren't protected, where some of the uh, I think the um, the 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 uh, financial mismanagement of these airlines, the uh, failure to prepare for a rainy day, um, uh, American taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for that uh, without sort of strings being attached. So these are going to be really fundamental debates that our country is going to have in the midst of this health crisis. So we're going to we're going to enter into a, a sort of political crisis where the conversations that have been roiling our politics since 2007, 2008. The American people are going to have the opportunity to sort of revisit those debates in a really concrete way. Um, and ho- hopefully, even in an election season, the test is going to be there. Can we as citizens and can our politicians meet the moment uh, to intervene in the way that's necessary to stave off a depression, which, as you said, Justin, depending on how long this this thing goes for, on some metrics, the stock market has taken more profound hits over a certain period of time than it took during the financial crisis. Now, now again, that's just, you know, snapshots in time. We don't know what the duration and the ultimate impact is going to be, but this could be a very serious, uh, this could have very serious economic implications for for the global economy, for sort of GDP, sort of national metrics, and then for individuals' lives, for small businesses surviving, for families being able to to to, to keep going without significant aid. So I'm 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 concerned, uh, but but I'm I'm hopeful given the precedent of these two packages, given the progress that I think the White House and Congress has made, at least on these sort of direct uh, short-term cash aid to families that um, that there will be something of a safety net there. Chris? Yeah, you know, uh, and perhaps a little bit more than a safety net, right? I, you know, there is a significant disruption in the economy uh, right now. Um, and I, I won't be surprised to see this uh, become more of a conversation as we uh, begin to get our arms around the health crisis and, and maybe the economic crisis and the political crisis that comes with an economic crisis might just force its way into the conversation because the longer this this you know goes, I mean, we're going to get uh, an unemployment, a jobs report 
that might report 20% unemployment. I mean, that will send things, you know, uh, going haywire. Uh, but I think a lot of people will see in this, and I see in this, an opportunity to rethink how we think about the economy. That's right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's great to see Democrats and Republicans come together and pass a package that includes uh, paid uh, sick leave uh, and yeah. family time. Uh, right now it's only two weeks, but, you know, I, I think if, if you had walked into a room with somebody from the Center for Public Justice and told them two weeks from now the federal government is going to uh, subsidize two weeks of paid time off for, for virtually all workers, you know, they would have laughed you out of the room. Uh, so that's progress. Uh, you think about some of the industries that do get uh, hit here. You know, when you think about restaurants, um, and that whole kind of food service industry, you're talking about the industry that employs uh, the highest number of, uh, of single mothers, the highest number of first-time job seekers, I think the highest number of returning citizens. Um, you know, so they have a lot of, you know, kind of the least of the folks in the economy uh, attached to some of these venues. We have somebody uh, in, in the church who vans at, you know, both uh, uh, baseball stadiums here in Chicago. And is, is out of both of those jobs right. uh, uh, for this time. And so there's an opportunity here to think about the economy and think about how we uh, direct funds and, and, and how we you know, support the economy, um, you know, to rethink how we think about the economy uh, in a way that, uh, you know, we don't just think about the folks who are captains of industry. Uh, but really have time to think critically about how, um, you know, the folks supposedly at the bottom uh, actually participate meaningfully in the economy um, and and what we as a society owe to those folks, even if if they're not in the middle class or or even in the, uh, the even higher earning. So what I hear you saying is there's levels to this, right? So we, we can have a conversation about the corporate bailouts. Maybe the airlines do get a bailout. Maybe they don't. What strings are attached to that? Not only them, but uh, what about the uh, the cruise industry, the vacation industry in general, which when you talk about states like Florida is, is very serious and has an impact on the small. So these things are connected, right? They're not disconnected. Uh, and then you have the, you know, a different level where you're talking about how do people pay their rent? And the truth of the matter is people who are on public assistance might already be in a better position about those than those folks who are just above the kind of public assistance. How do you pay your rent and how long do you go on without being able to pay your rent? Someone uh, asked us about local uh, measures that you can take. Some people are talking about suspending, you know, um, um, eviction. Right. Yeah. For this time period, for three months, you cannot evict people. Um, that could be very helpful to people because they won't be out in the street. Uh, but there's another side to that as well, whereas the person who receives the, that money can't pay the mortgage, right? So whoever the landlord is, they may be depending on those payments to pay the mortgage. So th these are things that we might have to do. Also realizing that even when we take these measures, that they also have consequences, right? That that some in some cases, we're just delaying the inevitable and it's not really solving the problem, but it's a, a necessary band-aid until we can figure out a better way to go about this. But these are some serious questions that we have to figure out and that not only for the moment, but for the long term. Uh, and, and I just hope that, you know, our on the federal level, the state level and the local level, that our our uh, leaders are up, up to the task and that they're willing to put all the brain power that they have focused on this instead of kind of the partisan strategizing and all that. It's just not a good time for that. Uh, you can, we'll have plenty of time for that because we, you know, depending on how long this lasts, we have no, and we'll get to the election and all that stuff, but we don't know how the economy is going to affect all that. We were in a situation, guys, where the economy was in a pretty good place. Uh, and for it to tank within three weeks or whatever it's been is just, is, is really crazy. And you do see this connects with the partisanship. I've seen tweets where people aren't so sad that this is tanking. 
Mm-hmm. You would have to be in a pretty privileged position, my friend. Uh, be mm-hmm. someone who was like, well, the, the economy tanking hurts Trump, and so it's not so bad. Okay, well, you, you, that that tells me about about the privilege and the position that you're in yourself. If you think it's worth people going through what people are about to go through. Uh, so you can get the person that you want out of office. This is bad any way you look at it. Look at it. I, I'm not somebody who voted for Trump, but I hope that administration is very successful and improves on how they deal with this. I want that to be a success because there's too many lives just depending on it. So, so much to talk about. Uh, time is moving, but the economy is going to be key to this whole conversation. I, I, again, a lot of the measures that we take today are going to have, you know, are going to have consequences later on. Uh, should it change our economy long term? Maybe so. Uh, but how does that look? So these these are the discussions that are going to be ongoing uh, and, and we should be participating in those conversations. But I hope our conversations would be more on kind of everybody uh, coming up together instead of one side winning and the other losing. So something that's very close to this conversation is votes. When I gave the when I gave the overview earlier and this even happened in Georgia, some primaries have been pushed back. So we were supposed to vote, uh, I thought, I believe next week. It's actually been pushed back to, to May and it could be pushed back even further. That's a big deal. Uh, I know, uh, Amy, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar and some other folks that actually even come up with a, uh, some, some, a bill to kind of address the issue that we're dealing with. It's called the Natural Disaster and Emergency B- Ballot Act. And what it would do would be to expand non-traditional voting. Uh, mail-in, uh, paper ballots especially, to say, hey, we know this is going to have an even bigger impact on our elections. How are we going to deal with that? This is very hard to separate from partisanship, but we have to try. What impact is this going to have on the presidential election and other races? Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I first just look at the ability of us to hold primaries. I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier, we held one uh, in Illinois, uh, we avoided having like totally, totally historically low uh, participation, but it was low, um, you know, because how do you decide to go out and vote, um, you know, if, you know, the information that you're getting is social distancing and, and that type of thing. I know we had a, a real shortage of, of even poll workers because a lot of poll workers kind of just backed out because they didn't want to uh, be exposed. I actually took somebody uh, to a polling place to vote and after sitting outside for about a half hour waiting uh, for her to come out, uh, she came out and told me that she hadn't voted uh, just because things were moving slowly because there weren't enough poll workers there. Um, so that's one of the big things. How do we get it done? Right. So you, you have uh, this new uh, bill that may or may not pass, you know, the Klobuchar bill that you just mentioned. Uh, but, you know, can, can we actually get it done? Uh, do folks begin to, can folks participate? And then when you, when you look at the whole conversation, one of the big conversations on the Democratic side uh, has been about turnout. How do you get all these new uh, voters to participate? Um, you know, everybody talks about the, you know, the coveted suburban woman vote. Uh, a lot of those suburban women are, are moms. A lot of those suburban women are caretakers. Um, and and th- this health crisis uh just brings all of that in. And so I, I, I worry a lot about the functionality of elections um, because if you've been around folks who actually run elections, uh, it's, it's not easy. It's never easy uh, in the best of times. Uh, and so I worry about the our ability to have the elections uh, and then the ability of people, even if we figure out a, a function, uh, a functional way to participate, the ability of people to, uh, to engage in the electoral process. So much progress has been made over the last few years uh, as it relates to opening up the electoral process in a lot of states. Um, and now you're talking about everybody's got to do a mail-in ballot, which, again, if you've been around elections and the folks who run them, all that stuff is difficult, um, and, and they really become barriers to participation. So, you know, it, it, is, it is concerning when you think about participation in, in the rest of these primaries and, and perhaps even yeah, I don't have much to add there, but, uh, you know, I would just say, you know, I can see how some folks would, would think, you know, who, who cares about elections? Like, worry about that politics after. But we can't under, underestimate or underappreciate 
what it would do to have a governing crisis on top of the health and economic crisis. Like, like folks need to have, you know, I'm, I'm less worried. I agree with David French, you know, primaries actually aren't, pri- uh, primaries are party functions. They're not required by the constitution. They're not, parties can really pick their candidates really however they want. Um, and so I, I was fine with primaries being moved. I agree with David French when he says, you know, we don't want to get used to this idea that we can move elections because, you know, that can be misused and undermine sort of uh, uh, undermine folks' confidence in the system. But by the time we get to November, which is why I appreciate Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Wyden at least trying to get a conversation going about, you know, in a worst case scenario, what does it look like to have elections in November that the, the American people can can uh, uh, reasonably trust and that the outcome of those elections can be enforced, uh, are, are generally accepted. Uh, and, and so it, it's it's a really it's a really significant, uh, significant concern. Yeah, it, it should be. I mean, you talk about early voting, you talk about mail in ballots. In what ways could those things go wrong? I mean, we have a lot of states and municipalities that are already kind of trying to get new ways of voting and, and how you actually register the vote, right? Um, to make sure that things are the way they're supposed to be. There's a long conversation that we've been having about disenfranchisement. Others would kind of point to voter fraud. Uh, how do we deal with those things in a crisis moment? Uh, so it's one thing to change the rules when you're not in a crisis. It's right. another thing to change it in a crisis and when you're in the middle of a crisis, if you got a new administration, what does that transition look like? Right? Mm-hmm. How do you transition one in another in the middle of something that serious? Serious. Uh, I think, Michael, you make a very good point in saying that uh, you know you don't want to start moving the election around. You want to do everything you can to make sure that it's a fair election and that people's votes are, are being counted. Uh, but you, you know you don't want to get in a situation also where you're putting people's safety in danger if this were to get to get worse. Uh, to Chris's point, you know, working on a local level and seeing that there's always a local element anytime you're talking about elections, whether it's a federal election or any or anything else. These are just hard, these are hard situations. Look at what happened in Iowa and we weren't even dealing with any, any type of crisis, right? Th- these are issues that we have to deal with because again, to have, it's one thing to have a health crisis, to have a governing crisis, which is the way that you deal with the health crisis at the same time, just kind of compounds the issues that we're going uh, that we're going through. So if you learn nothing else from uh, parts of this conversation, it's that we need everybody to be paying attention and to be working together to get through this. Because even if we're working together and, and, and we're not having any type of infighting or worried about partisanship, it's going to be hard enough. It's, right. it's going to be hard enough for us, even if we're doing all the things and working civilly together. Uh, so when people have one eye towards an election, one eye towards, you know, uh, partisan power, and then another, you know, one the other eye on the on the crisis. That's not going to be enough to get us through this. And so, again, I just hope that our elected officials, our leaders in other areas, our faith leaders, are up to the task because it's going to take every one of us to do the right thing. I mean, this goes into the conversation. You guys seen the videos and all that, just about people doing the social distancing as they're asked to do. Right? Are we as citizens doing everything we're supposed to do? I think one of the things that happens as citizens because we're not because we are in a, you know, kind of representative democracy, because we're not taking every vote, sometimes we put everything off on the politicians. Well, they've shown us and asked us to play a very significant role in making sure this crisis doesn't get worse. Are we doing what we need to be doing to to make sure that that, that's happening? Big questions. And in an election year, especially a a presidential election year, uh, we've got to answer those fairly quickly and in a way that gives people confidence. Right. In a way that people say, I can depend on that and, and uh, I can trust the outcome. Any addition, any adi- additional com- uh, comments about voting and, and elections? Well, you know, I just say, you know, we saw the Senate uh, establish unique procedures just to make sure that the 100 senators could make it to cast their vote yeah. without unduly interacting with. Uh, staff or sent, so they expanded the vote to I think 30 minutes. They spaced it out. McConnell asked, uh, uh, the Senate Majority Leader asked senators to just come in. They had to establish all these procedures. And, and I mean, y'all have seen these voter lines, not just in this election, but 
you know, inexcusably for elections for too long now where you have like folks uh, can't be expected to what a they shouldn't be expected to wait in line for hours anyways. But B, if we're if this thing is still contagious, uh, like if, if, if we still need to worry about social distancing, then it's a complete impracticality to have people waiting in lines. And so uh, so 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 th- that requires uh, unprecedented investment into our election system or some other kind of procedure like a mail in if it's workable. And, Chris, I agree there are some real. I mean, you you think about uh, uh, how ballots uh, would be accepted or rejected if they're mail-in and the voter's not present, and if there's any sort of lack of clarity about the proper procedure of how you mark your vote and how you send it in. Uh, but 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 this is a conversation that needs to happen now because we're not going to be able to have it in November. <laughs> uh, we need to talk now so that November uh, it, it happens in a way that's as, as orderly as possible. Um, and you prepare for the worst and, and hopefully, you know, by November, you know, none of this is, is relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to skip over what Chris said, because he gave us a real world example where he took right. somebody to the exactly. poll and because there were not enough poll workers, they did not vote. Yep. That's serious. I mean, this right. is somebody who made the effort, but the poll workers didn't want to expose themselves. And so they, you know, they, they, they weren't there to, to make sure that everybody could keep to make sure that they could keep the lines moving. Yeah. Very serious stuff that not only affects our, you know, every day, but affects our democracy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's all work together and kind of get through this. Uh, and we'll start to wind down a little bit, folks. If you have questions, we'd love to interact with you. So ask questions and we'll uh, try to get to, to those questions. But I want to talk about the church. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend here in Atlanta who's a pastor who's honestly just very worried, right? He has, an, he has an older congregation, vibrant, but a little older congregation. And since the you know churches are basically closed this next week, I don't know any churches. There were some churches that were open last week, but I don't know any churches that are going to be open this next week coming up. And for people who, you know, number one, when people aren't at church, they tend not to tithe as much. I mean, let's just be honest. And so even, even tithers, when they're on vacation or they're doing something else, tend not to tithe. But, but when nobody's at church or when you have a congregation that's older and doesn't really use the Internet to tithe and things of that nature, it presents a very big problem. And I saw an article on it, especially for the African-American church, uh, who, who a lot of times just did not have the budgets to maintain uh, everything that's going on, whether it's paying, paying the mortgage or anything else without those weekly uh, ties coming in. How is this going to affect the church? Especially, I'd love to hear from you on this, uh, Chris, because you're living through it as well as a pastor. Uh, how might this affect the church? And, and what can we do to, to kind of uh, come together and make sure as many churches as possible survive uh, this crisis? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many folks have written about it, but I, I was real grateful to, to see on, uh, I think it was Zorg.com, uh, an article that specifically uh, talked about this issue as it relates to the black church. Uh, because similar to how we we're talking about with a lot of these individuals being impacted by the economy, uh, many churches uh, are week to week. Um, and, you know, two weeks of, of, of a bad offering can uh, represent a significant crisis uh for a church, I mean, I, I look in, in, in my own world, um, you know, it, it would be, you know, really, really bad. I mean, and we've got, I've got some real world experience because I pastor in Chicago and there have been uh, a few times in the four years that I've been pastoring where we had to cancel Sunday worship because of weather. Uh, and, you know, it can take two months, three months to really get back uh, on pace. Uh, just from canceling that one Sunday of worship, um, and so if you to look at the prospect of um, of missing worship for multiple weeks in a row, I I know a lot of congregations where that just represents an existential crisis. Um, you know, so it, it and and finances are not the only piece uh, of worship. I mean, 
church is community, uh, it's fellowship, it's connectedness between people. I mean, uh, in, in, in one way, uh, the very concept of social distancing uh, is, is kind of opposite of what we think about when we think about church. Um, so we were one of the, the congregations uh, who did gather um, last week, uh, but we put things in place where, you know, folks are spread out. There's no hugging, you know, no handshakes, don't pass the offering basket, uh, all those types of things. And it was a weird meeting. Um, you know, so it, it's it's really uh, something that we have to think about. I also will say this and then I'll, I'll be quiet. I think that, that this does represent uh, a great opportunity for the church. Um, I think that our congregation, uh, we've been pursuing for the last four years a much more missional model. Uh, we planted churches in McDonald's and uh, other kind of like strange places like that. Um, and so this idea of being off-site or multi-site uh, is not something that's totally um, uh, unfamiliar to us. Uh, I do think it, it represents a great opportunity for us to learn what it means to be uh, the church without a building. The first you know, three centuries of the church, there was no such thing as a church building. Uh, so it's a great opportunity here, uh, but also some real uh, threats. Mike, what are your thoughts? I don't have much to add to that. I'm I'm writing on this now and just want to affirm, I, th I think pastors and, and Christian leaders obviously have a responsibility for those in their congregation. But but I'd also affirm what Chris said about um, this is a moment that is hitting people spiritually and emotionally. And it's 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 exposing some of the ways that we distract ourselves from reality and, and those distractions just aren't available anymore. Um, and so, I, you know, I think this is a time for public leadership from the church um, that's oriented toward the public. I, I think, you know, social media is rife with, with sort of uh, um, videos again, which are important of, you know, uh, folks addressing their congregations, giving plans. Um, I, I've I've been encouraged in the examples I've seen of folks taking care for the spiritual health of the nation uh, and speaking to the spiritual health of those who are in their church, but also those who haven't found their church yet. And I think is this is this deepens. I mean, we're we're really only a week into. I think generally widespread acknowledgement, understanding of how serious this is and can be uh, the, the, the need for a pastoral guidance uh, is going to be uh, even greater. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, you know, Chris, you hit, hit, hit on something that's so important, which is that uh, the social distancing, which we understand is necessary is almost the opposite, the antithesis almost of communion and coming together and fellowshipping and worshiping together. And our brother, um, East, Dr. Esau McCauley, wrote an excellent article in the New York Times kind of addressing that tension to say, yeah, we, we understand Christianity is so much about that fellowship and that communion, but maybe the best thing for us to do today today for society is not to meet and to love, you know, to love others in, in different ways. Uh, as we, you know, uh, eventually we'll come back together when we when we have the time. But this is such a tough time for the church. I, I, I think Michael's right. It's a time for the church to speak up and, and to really have a public witness that people can see. And that's profound and that's distinctive at a time when some people may be losing hope. I mean, we're still probably at the beginning of this uh, when people start missing meals, uh, when people start uh, missing the, the, you know, their 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 payments and uh maybe have to deal with evictions and maybe you have to deal with the fact that, yeah, they delayed me having to pay my mortgage, but I'm going to have to make that up at some time. Uh, when hope starts getting low, that's really a time for Christians who will be going through the same things to show that there is a, still a reason to have hope, to, to show that there is still a reason to love your neighbor and be there for your neighbor, even if it has no political or cultural benefits to you, but it's just a kind of a show of support for that person. Uh, because we could very well get in a situation where this is going to have that we're going to have to pull together to really make this happen. I was just having a conversation about racial reconciliation. And one of the things I brought up 
you know, if you really want to be practical about racial reconciliation and kind of bridging the trust gap, you got to realize that a lot of African-American Hispanic churches are barely surviving. A place to start is making sure that they, they actually can survive. And so I would ask people to consider a local church, a local small church. It doesn't have to be black you know, or Hispanic, but a, a small church near you saying, what do you need? Can I pay your mortgage this month? Because there are churches. I know in Atlanta there are churches and, and other places that can do that. Um, right. If you're a pastor that has the ability to help a church out who's really struggling, I'm, I mean, Chris hit it on the head. You miss two weeks or a week of offering and you're in a really bad position. I mean, not only may you, you might be playing catch up, you might be in a position where there's nothing to catch up to. Uh, so that's something to think about for the church. Can we bring about, you know, kind of a reconciliation or just show love by, by, by protecting and helping those small churches that just don't have uh, the resources to make it through this crisis. And that's more churches than you would think. Uh, not yeah. all of them are probably even small, but, uh, but we need to we need to make sure that we're trying to do that, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Like the average church is like seventy five people, right? Um, and you know, folks are. Uh, you know, I, I know folks who uh, like me. Now, I, I've got a trade skill that I can work, um, but you know, I'm you know full time at my church. You know, for the most part, and, and many many pastors. I mean, not only are you talking mortgage and, and that kind of thing, uh, you're also talking about that person's livelihood again. Um, and so that economic part is really important. Uh, I also just stress in terms of if I can say something to the church in terms of how we deal with that tension um, between you know social distancing and fellowship is that this is a great opportunity for us to learn how to talk. Uh, one of the things I did share with, with my church is I actually met my wife uh, at the tail end of her senior year of high school. Uh, we actually officially started dating um, at her prom. Uh, and so uh, it was two months and she was off to University of Virginia. Uh, and so our relationship was on the phone. Um, yeah. After you know 13 years of marriage, I can tell you that deposit of knowing how to talk uh, has been a, a great, great benefit uh, to our marriage. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity in the church. Uh, for us to learn how to talk, um, because we'll, sometimes you come together on Sunday and we sing together, we give offering, we take communion together, and we don't talk to each other at all, really. You know, uh, mm. doing great, you know, move on. It's a great opportunity for us to learn how to talk, uh, and, and so we want to see the opportunities in this, and not and not just the threats. We want to address the threats, but but really, there's an opportunity to leverage uh, a lot of uh, great opportunity. Yeah, and don't forget. Don't forget a major part of Christianity is self-sacrifice. And so I think it raises a big question. A question, if you're in a position where you're comfortable, with, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, but your neighbor is uncomfortable, right? There should be something that kind of pulls at you when that happens. And when we're talking about churches and we're talking about, you know, uh, 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 folks with different socioeconomic situations, for those of us who are more comfortable, there's an opportunity to make sure that, and you don't have to touch them. Uh, there's a lot of technology that allows us to serve people and help people without right. actually having that type of contact. So let's use the technology, use whatever we have. But let me say this, and I want to give a shout out because we don't want to just uh, kind of criticize the folks who aren't doing things right. There have been a lot of corporations that have stepped up to the plate. Uh, I've heard of Comcast providing uh, online services. I've heard of a lot of corporations that have stepped up and said, people are in a tough position. How can we provide and how can we do better? The, the group that should be at the head of that is the church, right? So folks who have those opportunities, even the small things uh, really matter in this type of situation. So uh, please do that. Please be innovative and in thinking of ways. You got a lot of time on your hands. If you're like me, innovative and in thinking of ways how, of how we can help our neighbor and how we can uh, just lend a helping hand. Uh, we have one question and we hit on it just a little bit. Uh, but Daniel asks, he says, in what ways can the pandemic benefit the church? How can uh, churches properly spread the gospel during this time of vulnerability and fear? We touched on it a little bit, but either of you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think it's a massive opportunity here for the church uh, because there is an opportunity for the church 
that a church that has seen participation fall off, right? Um, and all the data suggests that it's not because people are not interested in hope. It's not because people are not interested in God. Um, it, it might. It is probably because people are not as interested in our model. Uh, and, and I'm not deeply critical of the model. Uh, I'm a church boy. I grew up in church. I love church. Uh, I'm not critical of church buildings. Uh, we just got one. Um, but to think about what church looks like apart from the building uh, is something that the church has needed to do for a very long time. Uh, and this is forcing us to do that. Uh, and, and I think it's a major, major opportunity. Uh, I teach Bible study every Wednesday night. Uh, usually I'm teaching to about 30 or 40 people. Uh, Wednesday, we did Bible study uh, on Facebook. And there were 400 people who viewed it. Uh, there were over 80 people who watched that Bible study for over 10 minutes. Um, it, 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 it's forcing us to think about what church looks like uh, outside of the building. And I think it's a massive, massive opportunity that we should not waste. I agree. Michael? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. And, and I just you know reaffirm that uh, you're going to have folks' attention in different ways. You're going to have folks um, that will rely on the church that haven't relied on the church in a long time. Uh, and, and then again, there's, there's, um, but, and uh, our, our brother, Alan Noble uh, talks about this quite, quite a lot. Uh, what, one of the ways that we avoid uh, confronting our situation with God is through distraction. Uh, and we are now, potentially in a period where those distractions are going to be uh, harder to come by and are going to fill up just less time. And so um, we're all going to be many philosophers <laughs> during this, during this period of quarantine uh, and, and social distancing. And so how, how do we speak to those questions in a way that we, you know, there was this, uh, well, yes, yeah, so I, I won't go down, uh, but uh, uh, people are asking big questions and the church has some big answers. Uh, and so thinking about how we can how we can uh, enter into that conversation. Amen. Amen. I think something else in, is it gives us time to read uh, yeah. specifically the Bible. And so we'll have some time to, to do that, to, to get on our knee, knees in prayer uh, in a way that that's very real and, and, and just just in the continued. And I know my one thing my, my church is doing is that at 12 o'clock every day, we're having a prayer call. Right. And so everybody getting a chance to still have that kind of collective uh, prayer. So a, a lot going on, man. Uh, I want to give everybody just a chance to give your 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 final words. We may do this again a couple of times uh, next week, but I wanted you guys to uh, to give folks a, a word to, to leave on. I, I would just encourage us, you know, the, the posture of the church during this time uh, needs to be uh, cooperating uh, and critical. Uh, we uh, have not received from God a spirit of fear, uh, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, and, and we need to exercise all three of those things. I think we'll talk a lot in this conversation about uh, power and love. Uh, we also need to exercise that self-governing, uh, self-disciplined mind, uh, so that so that we one can lead in thinking further about the issues that face us, the decisions that we make, what are the long-term impacts uh, of that, uh, and and then you know being a real voice to keep the tone of this uh, uh, moment. Uh, in the right place. So that, that kind of public leadership is really important. So uh, that, that's what I would suggest to the church. Like we need to be cooperating. One, um, you know, there's no need for us not to cooperate now speak because uh, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. Uh, I believe that, you know, we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. Uh, I don't see anything uh, in that text about uh, uh, putting people at risk of getting sick uh, so that we then have to lay hands on them. That's not our role. Uh, you know, uh, so we need to be cooperating, uh, but then we also need to be critical uh, and, and thinking uh, through the, this, this process. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I just uh, urge people to 
to take care of themselves. Uh, that, that this is, uh, uh, and and if you're taking care of yourself, then then you're going to be able to uh, take care of those you love and, and those around you, um, and to and to really use this use this time as as a as a um, as an opportunity to think about what's 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 most important and to maybe uh, orient your life a, a bit more around around those things. Uh, but most important, you know, I think my main message is like be be in tune with what you're going through. <laughs> I think this is just a destabilizing thing for a lot of people. So reach out to somebody if you need help, uh, your pastor to a, a friend that you trust, an elder uh, that can provide uh, that that can just be a sounding board for you, um, uh, and then and then offer the same thing to to someone in your life. That is hopeful. I would I would just say this. Um, we don't know how this is going to end, but we know how things ultimately end. And we know that we have the victory and that we always have joy and hope uh, for something bigger. Uh, and so always, uh, I would say, keep that in mind. I would also say find time to laugh. Uh, there is nothing funny about uh, the coronavirus, but there's always something that you can be joyful about. And so don't get into the mode because something serious is happening that you can't laugh. Uh, find time to laugh, find time to have a good time, make light when you can uh, and make someone else laugh. Call somebody you haven't called in a long time because that can really mean a, a lot to people and tithe. Even if you, for those of you who can, those of you who can tithe, please continue to tithe. Please, you know, if you can get others to tithe or to talk to them about helping out folks, that, you know, that would be in the service industry that aren't going to their job. How can we help those folks out? There's a huge opportunity, not just to sit around and soak, but to really help people out. And it doesn't always take money. Sometimes it's just a call. Um, there's a myriad of other things you can do. Write somebody a letter. Um, but do your best to uplift people in this moment uh, that we, you know, there's a lot of instability. There's a lot of uncertainty. But we know that one thing is always certain. Uh, and that's the word of God. That's that we have an all loving, all powerful God. Uh, so thank you for joining us for this conversation. As I said, keep your eye on the fa our Facebook page and our Twitter page. We'll be doing a couple of these probably within the next couple of weeks just to keep everybody up to date as this thing just keeps moving. and We never know what the what next turn is going to take. We want to be here to let you know what the policies are, what's going on in our, our American politics. Uh, so as always, thank you for joining us. We will uh, see you next time. Take care. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you hear me? I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame.